Good evening. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church for our uh, midweek Bible class. We're in Job. We always take a few seconds prior to uh, beginning uh, the message, uh, the study. And so this is our opportunity to relax and um, conduct our normal procedure of spiritual preparation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall address, He shall um, direct your paths. Thank you. Trust in the Lord with all, or uh, commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. So let's take just a few seconds for spiritual preparation, and then we will jump right back into Job chapter 38 with the Lord speaking to Job. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, each and every day that you have provided for us. And we're thankful, Father, for um, not only your extreme, uh, incomprehensible love for us that sent your Son to be our Savior, but our ability to be saved, to have a relationship with you, is simple. It's simply by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, Father, uh, as we study the Word of God, we learn more about you. We learn more about our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're thankful also for God the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, our teacher. He is our comforter, our advocate. Uh, He indwells us and fills us. And therefore, Father, we have a remarkable spiritual life. And we pray that we would take advantage of that. We would have the positive attitude towards uh, what you have, uh, with your guidance, uh, what you would desire us to do. And in studying the book of Job, we have uh, seen various Uh, approaches by individuals uh, for uh, your plan, whether uh, it was your plan or whether they thought it was. But now we are listening to you. And we're thankful in chapter 38 that, Father, we can read your words. We can read your words. Uh, Job heard your words, but we'll be able to read them and... uh, We ask that God the Holy Spirit would assist us in understanding them so that we can then apply them to our, to us, to ourselves. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as I was telling, uh, a couple of the, uh, uh, the men here, uh, I'm 
uh, every morning I'm usually out walking and uh, I say hello to just about everybody unless they're running across the street uh, away from me. But I'm waving to them as well. Um, but in my travels, I have passed a child, uh, child care center and um, always wave to the uh, those who are working there, the employees, and I've gotten to know know them fairly well. Uh, they invited me to read to the children. Now, they their age uh, range is from uh, toddlers, uh, possibly even we could call them infants, up to seven. Uh, age seven, but uh, at age seven, of course, when school started, they went back to to school. So they have now four classes. They have uh, classes. The, the eldest, the oldest class, is uh, four uh, four to five. The the next class down is third year olds. Then we have two year olds. And then from there down, uh, I'm not sure I could guess their ages, but they're infants. And today I had a chance to read to them. Uh, so I was reading four times, um, and it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed uh, particularly the older children because they're pretty responsive. Um, trying to read through a mask, it's a little, a little less uh, effective, but... Um, had a great time, and uh, hopefully my uh, my voice will continue to be uh, just normal tonight. Uh, if not, um, I'll drink some of my scalding water here, and we'll be back at it. All right, we are in Job, and uh, just a very quick review of the book. Of Job, we are going to be studying God's two speeches. The first speech is Job 38 through 40. Now, the overall look at the book, we've gone through this many times. I moved Elihu's four speeches up to this first slide so that we see the prologue, Job 1 and 2, which is narrative. And then we begin poetry with the, di- the dialogues, Job chapter 3 to chapter 42. Uh, and as we walk our way through this, we'll see that the first uh, uh, chapter here, Job 3, is uh, Job expressing his concerns. Uh, secondly, we see the first round of speeches which um, includes Eliphaz, Beldad, and um, Zophar, along with Job, responding to them. We see the same in the second round of speeches, Job 15 to 21. The first round was 4 to 14. The second round is Job 15 to 21. The third round of speeches is Job 22 through 31. And then... We have Elihu's four speeches, Job 32 through 37. Now, the next section is going to be point 
6 here in these dialogues uh, are going to be is going to be God's two speeches and Job's reply and that is Job 38 through 30, uh, 42 now it's going to be broken into least two parts the first speech is Job 38 through 40 and uh, we'll see later the the second speech so now let's break down this first speech God's opening rebuke and challenge to Job and that was Job 38 1 through 3 secondly we're now seeing and that's this is where we are in uh, this chapter chapter 38 secondly we see God God's questioning of Job regarding an eminent nature and that's 38 chapter 38 4 through 34 through 38 now we're going to see that this uh, section breaks down into three parts the first one the first part a under 2 is questions about the earth and that's 38 4 through 21, and that's where we're going to be mostly tonight. Uh, we'll, uh, next week probably, questions about the sky, chapter 38, 22 to, th- to 30, and then questions about the stars and clouds, chapter 38, 31 through 38. Um, next week we may be able to take both 22 through 30 and 31 through 38. Uh, We'll see how that works. All right. Tonight, as I said, we began chapter 38 uh, at least two weeks ago, and we we slowed around verse 7 because of the importance of uh, verse 7. But let me begin in chapter 38, verse 1 so that we have the context as we move up to verse 8, which is really where we'll be starting tonight. You'll remember that when um, Elihu finished his last speech, he was speaking about the Lord, and he was speaking about whirlwinds. Well, as we begin chapter 38, we see that the Lord answered Job, out of the whirlwind and said. Now, I've said that I don't think this was the the windstorm that Elihu uh, uh, saw coming uh, or approaching. Uh, this probably is a storm that is exceedingly more powerful in magnitude. Uh, but the Lord uh, demonstrating his authority uh, is now going to speak to Job from this uh, whirlwind. Verse 2. And this is the Lord, this is, this is God speaking. And I, I think it's, I, I'm not, I'll emphasize that several times because it's important for us to know uh, that this is God speaking to us. Other passages of Scripture, of course, uh, are inspired as well, which means God the Holy Spirit has inspired them. But I think 
uh, for us, we should all we should be able to hear God's voice speaking to us. And of course, he is directly speaking to Job. And most people would say uh, con- would like to continue what's known as the the rebuke in uh, uh, one through three, two and three, really. Uh, into the second part. But it's God asking questions of Job, ensuring that Job understands that God is in control. So verse 2, Who is this who darkens counsel? In other words, is that you, Job? Are you the one that uh, are obscuring uh, my purposes, my plans, by words without knowledge. Job, you don't know what you're saying. You don't know where, you, have, you don't have a sense for what's happening in your life uh, or what I'm doing. I will question you, Job. Well, now prepare yourself like a man. In other words, be a man. Uh, buck up. Here it comes. I will question you and you shall answer me. Well, Job will answer uh, sparingly. I will question you, Job, and Job, you shall answer me. Point or uh, Verse 4. Where were you, Job, when I, God, laid the foundations of the earth? Uh, and this is the uh, original creation of the earth. And we could go back to Genesis 1-1, and we would see that that's the creation. Uh, where were you, Job, when that happened? Uh, it's uh, God saying to Job, um, I was there. I was there, Job. Where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Verse 5, who determined its measures? If you know, in other words, tell me who it, who it was. Was that you, Job? Uh, who do you think did that? Well, it's God. God's the one that did this. Uh, so Job is now being, we might say, being braced. Uh, or who stretched the line upon it? Who was doing the measurements? Uh, verse 6, uh, on what were its foundations fashioned? We might say uh, we sink foundations, we anchor them, and that's what he's asking here. Or who laid its cornerstone? Well, this is God. God did this. Verse 7, let me finish verse 6 there. Or who laid the found, who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And again, we spent some time there in verse 7 trying to um, lay out a timeline of the creation, starting with God. God and his eternality is the creator. Uh, He was there when 
the creation began. And where do we start with creation? Well, verse 7 tells us that the uh, sons of God, angels, were there. So creation, we could almost say creation begins with angels. And then the creation, Genesis 1-1, where we have the creation of space and the earth. And then we walked on from there. Uh, I've added several points to that, and I'll review that uh, closer to the end of Job. Now, in verse 8, we've started with the questioning, who is doing this? Uh, Who laid its cornerstones? Uh, In verse 8, or who shut in the sea with doors? when it burst forth and issued from the womb. Uh, Verse 9, When I made the clouds its garments, and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it, and set bars and doors, when I said, Thus far, thus far, this far, you may come, but no farther. And here, your proud waves must stop. All right. I want to go back to verse 8, because these verses, I believe, are extraordinary. In verse 8, God continues his description of creating, uh, of creation. Again, with who in what we would call a rhetorical style. So verse 8 says, or who shut in, or who enclosed, and that may be a better word, who enclosed the sea with doors. When it, the sea, burst forth, issued from the womb. Now, this is poetry, and it's very, the the language is very figurative, but this verse tells us that God, even though his name isn't there, when he says, who did this? Well, this is God who is uh, enclosing the sea. Um, so notice the figurative language here in this poetic verse. Shutting or restricting the sea with doors and the sea bursting forth as from the womb. These are... Uh, descriptions of God's work during the creation, the creation or restoration of the earth. One of the most dramatic acts in the contain, uh, one of the most dramatic acts is the containment of the sea. And when we read in uh, Genesis 1, that is one of the more dramatic um, acts of God in the restoration of the earth, the containment of the sea. The containment of the sea is done so that humanity would have a place of habitation. There has to be land there. The contours of the oceans and the delineations of the seabed were fashioned by God. God uses the bursting forth as from the womb 
to infer that the new life that occurred at the time of creation was done by him. He is the one who's making this creation. And it is a new birth. It is a creation that is now occurring. We view the birth of a baby as special and glorious. And this is how God describes his creation. God, God's description tells us how he views his creation and his specific designs. So he's going through these designs. We should understand the importance that he places on the various elements of his creation. Verse 9. When I, God, made the clouds its garment. Now, when we read verse 9, we when I, this is not Job speaking, this is God speaking. So we can almost say, when I, God, made the clouds, it, the sea, a garment. So God is now uh, describing the seas and what is going to cover them or what's going to be above them, we might say. And thick darkness, it, the seas, swaddling band. The use of the first person singular here underscores the sovereign control and the placement of God's design. Notice that God does not say that the clouds evolved or are a secondary product of nature. God says that clouds, water, water vapor come from his hands. Take some time, I don't know if you how often you do this, but I think you should take some time to watch the clouds. Uh, the other day, I was watching uh, the clouds racing across uh, the sky. It was a rich blue and the white wisps of clouds and then uh, the tufts of heavier clouds. Um, they're truly, just truly majestic. The swaddling band tells us that God has wrapped the earth with clouds. The clouds are like garments surrounding a body. God dresses the earth, specifically the sea, in the same manner that humans dress. And that's why uh, God is using this terminology. Uh, The humans, such as ourselves, as we read this, um, this is meaningful to us. So, It's as a human would dress. And I particularly enjoy the clouds that billow and sail across the summer blue sky. Verse 10. When I, God, fixed my limit for it, and it here is the, uh, it refers to uh, the sea and set bars or we could say bolts. That's how we secure a door. Set bars or bolts and doors. So again, God says that he established boundaries for the sea, securing it like a lock on a door. And again, uh, this would be something that uh, Job and the other four who are there listening would understand. Periodically, the waters of the ocean 
the sea, the rivers and lakes overflow, overflow these limits. But God is the one who allows them to overflow. Verse 11. When I, again, this is God, when I said, this far you, referring to the sea, this far you, the sea, may come, but no further, and here your proud waves must stop. Uh, you'll notice that the, the Lord makes this sound as if um, he's speaking to the sea. Now, we don't know that he did or that he did not, but he's certainly describing this uh, in a, uh, a very personal way. Uh, we call this uh, personification, and that's what this verse is. He's addressing the sea as if it was another uh, person, another being. Um, so this is God saying that he spoke to the sea and explained, could even say commanded the waters, that there is a limitation for their movements. And notice that we view waves as powerful and destruct, but God describes them as proud. He calls these waves proud. Again, I think that this is God uh, addressing uh, his creation as if it's a person so that Job has the sense of God's hand that's, uh, that's directing creation. God calls these waves proud. We would probably never describe them as proud. Um, I think the, tra- the uh, translation could also be they are uh, high, uh, tall waves uh, or majestic. I've used that word uh, prior to this. Um, but what this tells us is that the- these are powerful and uh, they are part of God's splendid, uh, or splendid creation. When we observe the mighty breakers uh, on the shore, uh, we we should think of God as uh, a, a remarkable creator. Now, also here we should realize that the climate and the uh, ocean alarmists, we might call them, uh, deny that God is in control of what is happening in the world. But God is in control of the climate, not man. Yes, the climate does change, but not because of man's efforts or neglect. You know, we're being told that uh, because of neglect, we have a problem with the climate. Uh, no, that's not the case. We have variations of climate, but mankind cannot claim its responsibility. Enjoy the variations. We should enjoy the changes in seasons. We should enjoy uh, the uh, variations, the alterations in climate. Over a period of time, we might have 
a warmer climate. Other times we'll have cooler climate. As a matter of fact, I think I heard today that uh, we may be in more of a cooling um, period right now. And that's that's God allowing these varia- these variations or causing them. So we have variations of climate. But man cannot con- uh, claim its responsibility. So, therefore, we should enjoy the variations and thank God that his hands manipulate our weather and our climate. It's not only is the climate in God's hands, but we are in his hands. All right. Uh, A very quick summary of what we've read so far. The origin of the earth was... uh, depict as being like the construction of a building. And we saw that in verses 4 through 7. Now the origin of the uh, oceans are described like childbirth. Secondly, Job was not in God's delivery room when he created the oceans, the seas, the lakes, uh, which were like a baby coming forth from the womb. And as I said, I believe that one of the reasons that God describes it that way is because it, to him, his creation is very special, very glorious. God confined the waters, his newborn, we could say, by means of shorelines. Uh, Also, the waters could no longer cover the entire globe. Remember, uh, in Genesis 1, we have... Uh, God separating the land from the sea. And so the waters could no longer cover the entire globe as they had done at, uh, at one time. As a matter of fact, there's another passage of Scripture. Let's turn to Psalm 104. Keep your finger here in Job 38. Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 5. Last week we were, or maybe the last couple of weeks, we were more interested in verse 4, uh, who, God, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers, uh, uh, a flame of fire. And this is a reference to his angels. Verse 5 is where we're going to begin. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it could not be moved forever. And this is uh, a reference to God who has laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. Uh, The uh, alarmists, the climate alarmists who tell us that we're about ready to destroy the earth. uh, No, not even close. We're barely able to uh, penetrate the, 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 the surface of the earth. Verse 6, you covered it with deep, with the deep. That is, of course, water, the sea, as with a garment. Here it is again. The waters stood above the mountains. At your, rebu- at your rebuke, they fled. So the waters were above the mountains, and the Lord separates the water from these, from the land, and uh, creates deep gullies in the uh, in the sea so that that's where much of the water uh finds itself the water stood above the 
the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the voice of your thunder, they hastened away. They went up over the mountains. So they had been up over the mountains uh, to the place which you founded for them. They, oh, excuse me. They went up over the mountains. Then I think we can say they went down into the valleys, into the valleys uh, where the sea is, to the place which you founded for them. You have set boundaries that they may not pass over, that they may not return to cover the earth. So let's uh, go back to, to Job 38. Job 38. God separated the waters on the globe from the land. Also, above the earth's waters, he placed the uh, the clouds. In limiting the waters, the proud waters that we have here, the splendid waves um, that are pounding on the shore, God may have subtly hinted at uh, his control. Uh, God obviously had these... Uh, cosmological elements under control. God is able to control all that is happening in the world. So we shouldn't worry about climate. Just enjoy it. In verse 12, God continues the rhetorical questions, this time using morning and dawn. Let me read 12 down through, I think, 15. Have you, and again we're going to see that this is Job, have you commanded the morning since your, uh, since your days began is added uh, and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 13, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. That's a little bit difficult to understand. Uh, we'll... Uh, um, work on that verse, verse 14. It, and I think this is a reference to the earth, it takes on form like clay under a seal, uh, maybe a, a signet ring, we might say, and stands out like a garment, verse 15. From the wicked, their light is withheld and the upright, upraised arm is broken. So verse 12, uh, have you, Job, commanded the morning uh, since your day, since you were born, we might say, since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place. Uh, another way to translate this is, uh, have you uh, ever in your life done this? Have you ever commanded the morning so it knows where it is to appear? Where is the morning to appear? Well, that's under God's control. Of course, Job, for Job, the answer is no. I have not directed the mornings nor controlled the sunrise or influenced it in one way or the other. That's Job's answer. Now that the sun is giving the appearance of moving towards the southern hemisphere, the light of the days is diminishing. We can move the hours back and forth but we cannot stop or increase or do anything to the dawn or the sunset. Those are in God's hands. Might I say that I'm thankful for man's lack of control, lack of control of our solar system. 
Again, only the height of arrogance or colossal ignorance believes mankind is affecting the atmosphere on the moon or on Mars or some distant star. I one time heard a a TV uh, interviewer ask scientists if the destruction of the climate on the Earth was affecting any of the distant stars. I can't believe that she was even serious. I should have said whoever it was was serious. But that was the question. Verse 13. That it, the morning, might take hold of the ends of the earth. Uh, can you see that? Can you see the the morning, the, uh, the dawn slowly uh, brightening our world? And here is a description. It grabs the ends of the earth. Grabs the ends of the earth, takes hold of it, and the wicked are shaken out of it. Uh, Job, did you command the morning to shake the earth like a blanket so that the evils, the wicked who function at night, are shaken from their functions like bedbugs? So the poetic image in that darkness or the night is like a blanket. So the uh, when the light uh, disappears, darkness lays over the earth like a blanket. And at dawn, it's taken by the edges and shaken out. So the earth is shaken. And since the, uh, the, the wicked function, they do their work under the cover of night, They are included in the shaking when the dawn uh, arrives, when it comes up. Verse 14. It, and here we are speaking of the earth. The earth takes on form like clay under a seal, and it stands out like a garment. Uh, This verse uh, needs to be understood in the context. It's speaking to the earth. And... Uh, God is creating uh, the, uh, the the impression uh, of the earth uh, being created, I guess we could say. So um, as the light shines in the, da- uh, in the dawn, the features of the earth take on recognizable shape or form. So it says... Uh, as the earth, we might say, takes form uh, like uh, a signet ring in clay and stands out like a garment. So the um, if we have just smooth clay and then hit it with a seal, with a signet ring, we have contours. Uh, and that's how this is described. And that was something that they used all the time in the ancient world. We don't use it that much anymore. But the first colon here says that the earth, being formed by God, takes shape. It takes shape like clay or wax under a signet ring, a seal. As the light of the morning reveals the surface of the earth, its features appear like a garment. Uh, like the the lines on a garment that's laying there, and it just slowly reveals those lines. 
In other words, as God directs the light at dawn, the earth's contours are revealed. Um, So this is God saying, I am directing this. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, From the wicked, their light, which is darkness, their light, the wicked's light is darkness, is withheld. And the upraised arm, in other words, their power, is broken. Um, What is active at night, we might add? It's It's the violence that's symbolized by the raised arm. And the dawn breaks it. Generally, people who are wicked, who are um, conducting evil deeds, don't want light to shine on them. So the dimness of light is where the wrongdoers operate. But God brings various levels of light to disrupt the activities of the wicked. The phrase upraised arm is a figure for strength or power, which God breaks as if the light destroys uh, the wicked power. So our summary here for these verses, God controls the earth. He also includes the daily sequence of dawn and darkness. He says he controls these. Um, The dawn causes the wicked who are active at night to hide, we might say. Thirdly, It is as if the morning light were shaking them out of a blanket, causing them to be broken in their power. Uh, Fourth, as the sun comes up, the earth's contours become evident and the wicked no longer have darkness where they can hide. And fifth, since Job had nothing to do with establishing or controlling this aspect of creation, how could he question God's creative actions now. He had nothing to do with it. How can he uh, question him? Now, in verses 16 through 21, Job returns to questioning Job about nature that surrounds him. Verse 16, Have you entered, have you, Job, entered the springs of the sea, and I'll tell you right now, the springs of the sea is really the source, springs filling the sea. Or have you walked in search of the depths? In other words, depths of the sea. Verse 17, have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth, the breadth meaning width of the earth. Tell me if you know all this. Uh, These verses uh, are, uh, I think, extremely revealing for us because it begins to uh, tell us that there is much activity going on uh, in and around the earth, um, and we have no concept of it. Verse 16, have you, Job, entered the spring, the source, uh, the source of the sea? Have you walked in search of the depths? And we could say of its depths, the depths of the sea. So God asked Job, have you visited the sources of the sea? 
God knows the springs or the the uh, sources of the sea, and He, God, is fully aware that God cannot even begin to know their sources. Uh, we very often uh, wonder, uh, and we're periodically told that uh, the sea is going to uh, uh, roll over the east coast, or uh, the uh, uh, we're, we're going to lose. Uh, some of the uh, resources that we have in the sea. Well, that's not the case because God has created the sea and he's created the sources that fill the sea. Uh, We have no worries about uh, the sea or the climate. One of the remarkable wonders of the oceans is the depth and the variations of the ocean's floor, the ocean floor. We are just beginning to discover what the depths of the oceans and the seas contain. Uh, Verse 17, have the gates of death been revealed to you? The gates of death. Hmm. Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Uh, Here is... um, uh, God uh, addressing Job and asking him uh, about death. Job has uh, spoken of of death, uh, and now God brings that topic to the fore. God says to Job that while death has been discussed during the dialogues, do you know anything about death, Job? Have you ever seen the entrance to the location called Sheol? No, Job would have to say that he has little knowledge of death, very little. Um, This verse gives us an idea of the omniscience of God. God knows the details of the farthest reaches of the universe, which man does not even know uh, if there is a limit. Uh, We look at the, uh, the limits of the universe, and we thought, for many years that we knew uh, the limits. Well, now we're beginning to realize that we're not just looking at a universe. We're looking at a multi-universe. And we have no idea of its limits. But here we are. We're speaking of the earth. Uh, God knows not only the details of the limits of the universe. He knows the Uh, details of the place of the dead. God knows all of this, and we can barely guess at what is what God knows. Verse 18, have you, Job, comprehended the breadth, the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know this. Speak right up, Job. I love this. As we read these questions, we misunderstand that they are directed to us as well. Do we genuinely uh, respect how spectacularly incredible is our God? The answer, of course, is no. We don't know. And the reason we don't know is because what God has done and what God is doing is beyond human comprehension. God not only knows the questions... We have questions. God knows the answers. Hence, 
We should have a true fear of who God is. One stunning reality of this verse and its question is that mankind continues to attempt to determine information about the earth, of which there is an incredible amount. There is uh, so much scientific information, and we only know a small portion of it. Regarding space, we are on the verge of cluelessness with regard to space. Even though we think we know a lot, I mean, the closest uh, object to us is the moon. And we know so precious little about it. Uh, there are people who think that uh, the moon uh, supported uh, life at one time. Well, how do they come to that conclusion? Well, it's just something they'd like to believe. God, Only God can answer Uh, the questions that we have. He's the creator of the universe. Another factor that we must understand, if we can, is that God is beyond the universe. God is, we describe him as being transcendent, meaning that while we might, might know something about the area around us, God views the universe, the multi universe, as the head of a pen. And that explain, and that explanation is completely inadequate. In other words, uh, God is so transcendent that the universe as a whole is, is small in his, his mind. Let's look at verse 19, 20, and 21. In verses 19, and 20 through what to uh, to 21 god continues with the rhetorical questions for job and honestly god asking these questions of job we might say it's like asking a baby details about the eiffel eiffel tower or the empire state building the baby doesn't doesn't have an idea about these details Job didn't have answers, and honestly, we don't have either. And that should be very humbling to us. Verse 19, 19 through 21. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? Here we go. Where is the way? Where is the path? Where is the road to the dwelling place of light and darkness? Where is its place that you may take it to its territory? that you may know the path to its home. Do you know it? Because you were born then, in other words, because you were born uh, when light began, or because the number of your days is great, because you've been around forever, Job. So here in verse 9, where's the way? Where's the road? Where is the direction to the dwelling, to the house of light. And we can say the same thing. Where is the darkness? But where is its place? God's question is about the origin of light and darkness. Where does it dwell? Where can you find it, Job? Verse 20 continues, that you, Job, may take it. Or I think this could be taken as a plural, them, meaning 
light and darkness, that you may take them to its dark and, uh, light and dark's territory, where it, built, it belongs. In other words, where do you know uh, where light and darkness uh, start and end? And if you did, could you take it to where it belongs? That you know how the path, uh, that, you, that you may know the path to its home. Um, this is, again, uh, one of those questions where Job just has to uh, bow his head and realize how little he really knows. And I don't think Job was uh, uh, without knowledge. It's just that God's knowledge is so uh, superior. Verse 21. Do you know it? Because you were born then. In other words, you were there when light and dark um, came into being. Or because the number of your days is great. Because you've been around forever. Job, were you alive when light and darkness were created? God God was not only there. He was the one that created the processes of light and darkness, arriving and departing. Compared to God, Job, how old are you? God doesn't have age. Job does. But how old were you, Job? Were you there? How, how, how many days do you have? So as we close this, this section here, verse 21, uh, God personifies light and darkness as uh, living in a house. Where does it dwell, he says. And by rhetorical questions, the Lord points to the to Job, a mere human, uh, does he have some way of knowing where light begins and following it to um, where it, it ends? In other words, dawn to the sunny, uh, setting of the sun. And the answer, of course, is no. Their places in their dwellings are inaccessible in the sense that Job could not explain how God moves the earth around the sun. God says, surely you know, Job, for you were already born. Well, no, Job wasn't. This was God's ironic way of affirming that Job did not know since he was not present when God set the earth in motion. Finally, Job years were too few compared to God's eternality. And that's the point that God is trying to make. Uh, Job, I've been here. I was not only here when the earth was formed. I was the one who formed him. God's eternality is beyond our comprehension. We cannot do justice to God's questions as far as answers are concerned. We are too small. And that doesn't mean that we aren't intelligent. It just means that our intelligence is 
so limited compared to that of God, his omniscience. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful uh, for your words here, uh, the poetry that describes your creation, uh, the splendor of it, and really also it helps us to understand your relationship to to your creation. Uh, It is very dear to you, and that is revealed by your description of it. And if creation is dear to you, then the height of his creation, human beings, we know that we are dear to you as well. Help us, Father, to to respond, to reciprocate. Uh, We can't reciprocate um, fully, but help us to understand who you are and how you love us and how we should respond to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.